Today's podcast is sponsored by the Graduate Theology Programs of St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology, offering certificates, master's degrees, and continuing education for lay ministers and deacons to serve the church and the world. We prepare women and men, young and old, deacons and lay people for ministry and for personal spiritual growth. The application deadline for the spring term is December 1st. Details can be found at www.saintmineread.edu. Again, that's www.saintmineread.edu. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 177 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hello. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Part of the cultural fabric of our parish life are the songs that we sing. We as pastoral musicians are highly aware of this fact. There are so many considerations we make when choosing the repertoire for our parish. Instrumental, scriptural, melodic. But what about cultural? How much does our music adequately represent the varied, complex, beautiful human existences that make up the church? Do we really consider the representation we provide in our music selections? That is where our conversation starts today. I am pleased to introduce M. Roger Holland as my guest for this episode. Roger is a teaching assistant professor in music and religion and director of the Spirituals Project at the Lamont School of Music, the University of Denver. In this episode, Roger shares his reflections on the need for representation of all races, musical, and cultural styles in what we do in ministry today. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm speaking to M. Roger Holland II, and of course today, I'll just say Roger. Hi, Roger. How are you today? Hi, Amanda. I'm well, thanks. How are you? I am doing really well. I am so grateful that you are taking the time out of your very busy schedule, and I'm not even saying that with any hyperbole, because before we started recording, you were telling me all of the great, but lots of time consuming things you're doing. And so I'm, I'm just so grateful that you're sitting down with us and talking with us today. Thank you. Sure. Pleasure. 
So today we are recording an episode that will be a part of Black Catholic History Month. These are part of the, the discussions and the dialogue that we are having. And when you and I were emailing to, to start this conversation, you mentioned a phrase and a theme that I'd love for us to start with, which is liturgical justice. So first off, liturgical justice, where has that phrase come from? And where, where do you really find a lot of inspiration for that? So great question. Um, last year, as I, I'm sure all of us are aware, uh, the country saw what some people would refer to as a racial reckoning. Um, that was uh, kind of the, 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 the match that lit the fire keg or you know, the, the explosion was the murder of George Floyd. And that spurred a flurry of protests and um, social awareness. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, the, the things that had been going on, particularly that month, uh, even in my own work, I had to uh, just bring to, to my boss's attention some of the trauma that African-Americans were experiencing in this country. Um, many of us referred to it as the pandemic within the pandemic. So we were all shut up at home. Um, and then just within that concentrated month of May, we saw the death of Ahmaud Aubrey, which had happened actually, I think back in February, but we became nationally aware around the beginning of May. And then the, the death also, one could call it arguably the murder of Breonna Taylor, which uh, I think we became nationally aware of in May, but I think she was shot sometime in March, maybe April. And then the day that George Floyd was shot, it became national news the following day, but on May the 25th, when he was shot, what became national news was uh, the threatening, the, the weaponizing of the police for Chris Cooper in New York City in Central Park. Um, as a white woman refused to obey the, the park's regulations and leash her dog in a particular place. And she called the police on Chris Cooper and accused him of attacking her, which we all saw he was not. So with all of that going on, we had these three major incidents making national news and then boom, before our very eyes, uh, George Floyd is murdered by a police officer. So we have all of that going on. Many national organizations now are paying attention to issues of uh, equity, racial justice. Many organizations are making statements, a Black Lives Matter statements, and now are paying close attention to issues of equity and diversity and inclusion within their own institutions. So this is going on. Um, NPM was one of many institutions that was paying special attention to these incidents and how that impacted the work that they do, their constituents, their communities. And I, along with many other African-Americans within the Catholic community work with NPM to put together some special programming for uh, the, the convention that was about to occur. And as Kim Harris, Lene Gray, Valerie Lee Jeter and I were all meeting and talking and uh, thinking about different ways we could address things in a particular that would be relevant for music ministers, pastoral musicians. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I was asked to come up with a particular uh, 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 presentation, a, a breakout session, and the thing that I wanted to talk about was how we address 
the use of music for African-Americans by African-Americans in the liturgical service. And the idea that came to me, particularly around the work that I do at the University of Denver is justice. Uh, and in our particular framework, liturgical justice. And so I, as a professor, I tend to give these very long drawn out explanation, but I'd like to be very detailed and give the background and make sure we have a full understanding of the context in which we're dealing and operating. And for me, what liturgical justice means, it means that the music of various cultures are treated justly, that they're given their due time and attention, that as, as uh, uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium says, they, they're honored, recognized, and treasured. And too often, I have found uh, in my own experience and in conversations with other Black Catholics, that music of the Black tradition is not being treasured. It is not being honored. It is not being respected. And to the contrary, it is demeaned. It is debased. It is disrespected. And we are told that our music is point blank not Catholic. And I find that to be problematic because where that tends to come from is a very skewed perspective on what is Catholic, what is appropriate for the liturgy, and it comes from a place of Eurocentrism and exclusivity. And what becomes a great point of tension and contention is where individual leaders impose their own views and perspectives on the uh, communities which they serve. Not necessarily that they lead. I'm not saying leadership is not a part of that, but leadership means a sensitivity to the people. It's not dictatorship. It is leadership. It is guidance. It is helping people to find. And in our particular circumstance, it is leading people to Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that the Lord, our God, created people in great diversity. The, the uh, a psalmist declared, behold, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Psalm 139. And in Genesis, which, which we as Catholics fully embrace the dignity of the human person, which is founded in the premise in scripture that says we are made in the image of God, the imago Dei. So if we are all made in the image, God made us diverse in our singularity, in our uh, um, particularity. And to, to ignore that is to disavow our own humanity and our membership in the, uh, the holy priesthood. We are all, right? That's what, that, that's what our professor, we, we are supposed to be members of this. We are peculiar people that are part of this holy and royal priesthood. And to say that unless you become a priest made in my image as a human being, then you are disavowing the, the singularity and the uniqueness with which God has created me. So rather than saying we are made in the image of God, what some of these pastoral leaders are saying, unless you re remake yourself in my image, in my perception of what is Catholic, then you are not Catholic. And who has given them that power to do that? Certainly not the church, because it's, in its official documents, it says otherwise. Absolutely. So this becomes for me very problematic. 
And hence, I talk about now what I'm calling liturgical justice, because choices and decisions are made based on personal preferences and discriminatory notions and ideas. And that is unjust. When we do that in the liturgy, when we exclude others based on their race, color, culture, ethnicity, gender, then we are being exclusive rather than inclusive. And we are not adhering to that which is really universal, i.e. Catholic. So as we take this now, giving knowing all the context that you just provided and then bringing it into our own spaces and in the church and our local parishes and our local churches where we are serving um what does it mean not only to sing music of different cultures but to welcome music of the different cultures into our uh, liturgical spaces sure well i think and there's a couple of things. So, I mean, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this over the last <laughs> few years, mm -hmm. but even in the last few months, uh, particularly with the release of the new Gather hymnal, the fourth edition, I've been thinking about what it means for various communities to come together uh, in prayer and to sing music that supports their prayer. And I have two thoughts about that. Um, our church documents talk about using music from particular cultures within their, their specific cultural setting. So if you're in an Hispanic uh, community, then that should be the predominant music is represented, not only in the music, but in the art and in the language that is spoken in the homilies that are preached. They should address that culture. And there's a biblical basis for this. Jesus himself didn't speak to the people about issues of high society. He spoke to them using parables that were centered in agrarian culture, agrarian culture, because that was the community. He spoke to them using fishing analogies. He spoke to them <laughs> using farming analogies because that's who the people were, because he was trying to communicate and relate to them. And so certainly our parishes need to do the same thing. If you're dealing with a, um, a Vietnamese parish, then the music needs to reflect their culture, their language, their aesthetic. When you're talking about African-Americans, then the music needs to reflect our culture, our aesthetic, our, mutual, uh, our music, you know, our preaching style. All of that should be part, the artwork that represents who we are as an African-American people that are part of the African diaspora. Um, but at the same time, if your community is majority Anglo, then the music should reflect who those people are. Now, in terms of hospitality and welcome, if there are people in your community, even if Blacks or others are not the dominant culture, but you have people in your congregation or in your uh, geographic community, or even in your, your parish that are of other ethnic groups, then I think we have a responsibility to be welcoming and hospitable. What does that mean? Well, maybe every week, the majority of the music is not of the African-American experience, but every so often, there should be something that reflects who is sitting in that pew. I love using um, uh, uh, eating and cooking. I actually, in my uh, uh, choir rehearsals from time to time, I'm prone to using food and cooking analogies. Mm -hmm. So if you were to invite a Jewish family to your home, would you only have a diet of pork 
I think that is being insensitive to that family. Maybe you do include some pork dishes, but you need to have a full, you know, a, a, a palate and, and things on the table that are hospitable to them, that meet their dietary needs and restrictions, and that recognize you respect and are aware of who they are, and you welcome them into your home and into your space. Too often, that is not the case in all liturgical settings. Um, whether we come together as a multicultural community or whether we have members of different communities in our parishes, the expectation too often is that they should conform to who we are, as opposed to us recognizing the diversity in our midst and making them feel welcome. So this is kind of where I've, I've evolved in this, more so of the recognition of the great diversity of the Roman Catholic Church here in the United States, and that each community needs to be honored and treasured for who they are. But most especially when we come together as a multicultural community, when we have Spanish speaking people, French speaking people, um, people who are Vietnamese, people, you know, Spanish, all of that needs to be represented in our liturgy. Otherwise we render, and this is one of my arguments, we render them invisible mm -hmm. as if you don't even exist. I'll never forget some of the times I've been at NPM conventions and in our closing liturgy at the sign of peace, no one would offer me the sign of peace. Oh no. You're sitting around people that you oh. don't know, but aren't we mm -hmm. part of one family of God? Yeah. And, and yet, I mean, what, oh, a, what, oh. what, what does that say to being welcome? One of the great gifts of being part of the Catholic faith is no matter what parish you go to, the liturgy, the, the form, the structure of the rite is the same. Mm -hmm. And so even if I don't know the music, I know the rite, I know what's coming up, I can participate in the acclamations because I know the mass. So that's one of the great, so what I'm saying with that is whenever we come into our father's house, we should feel welcome. We are not of who is welcome in our father's house. And it becomes problematic, hence, again, back to liturgical justice, when we put ourselves in the place of gatekeepers, we decide who's welcome. We decide whose music and whose culture is welcome in our space. Now, let's, let's kind of dig into this just a little bit more and stay with this just a little bit more. Um, what does it mean then when we are unwelcoming to music at different cultures in our liturgical spaces and what that means? You, you just mentioned that, of course, we become gatekeepers, whether we realize it or not. Um, but what does that mean for our liturgical spaces then? Um, they become exclusive rather than inclusive. Um, they become unwelcoming. Um, I... I attended seminary at Uni Theological Seminary and I did my graduate thesis on the premise that music from the uh, African-American experience helps to cultivate the formation and supports the formation of black Catholics. And it's not that music outside of the black culture cannot do that. But when you hear music from your own culture, if you would, when I'm speaking my own language, there's a resonance, there's a connection that is present when I'm not. For instance, if you're a bilingual person, but your primary language is Spanish or whatever it is, 
you're most comfortable in that language. You tend to think in that language, even though you might be conversant, equally conversant in both dialects and both languages. And so when I hear music of my own tradition, it resonates within my spirit, within my bones in a different way. It moves me, it connects to me in a different way. For instance, like I said earlier, you know, when Jesus spoke to the people, he spoke in parables that related to them. He used the language, typically we were under, made to understand Aramaic because that was the more common language of the people. But I bet you if he was around Jews and they were just in their own little you know, home, maybe they all uh, spoke Hebrew, you know, um, because that might've been more comfortable. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about this notion of a double consciousness. And part of what he speaks about with that idea is that Black people have to have two different persona. We have to be one way when we're around uh, white folks. And this particularly is when he's talking about uh, slavery and Jim Crow. And then when we come into our own communities, we can be our true authentic selves. Um, when you're your true authentic self, just think about what it means to worship God and to be open to the spirit of God. If you are your full authentic self, then God relates to you in all of your authenticity. When you have barriers up, when you have a facade up, when you have a mask on, then either all of who God wants to be with and for you cannot get through because you have a wall up, you have a barrier up, you have a mask, you're relating to God as who you are. But when all of that is down, which I think will happen when you can be your fully authentic self, when you are in community with those who are like you, with those who accept you, with those who love you, with those who support you, and God is trying to talk to you, I can speak from personal experience. Um, when I have been my full authentic self, when I have worshiped God in spirit and in truth, God talks to me in a very profound way. And he connects, she connects, because in, in a very profound and powerful way because there are no barriers. God can get through on without any kind of inhibitions in the way, without any walls, with no barriers. And that's what needs to happen in the liturgy. That's what I believe music can help facilitate. When we can commune with God in a full, authentic, and honest and sincere way, God can move in us. God can change us. God can minister to us. Isn't that part of what should be happening during the liturgy of the Eucharist? When we go forward to receive the body and blood of Christ and we are ingesting Jesus, that is supposed to change us. But if we have a block in our uh, digestive tract, right, then can God fully be integrated into who we are? It requires surgery, you know, a lot of times to remove those kinds of blockages, or at the very least in our liturgical language, in our, our, our church language, it requires conversion. There must be a change, right? Um, and so th that's what needs to happen. We have to recognize that we have made those who are not like us other. When you otherize people who don't look like you, you make them different and now you treat them differently because you view them differently. And we are, you know, in the work that I'm doing, I talk to my students about the construction of race, you know, and even right now in the country, there's this uh, contention about critical race theory, but it's really not about making 
people who are not of color bad. It's about trying to get people who um, are still majority culture in, in many ways, understand that there are things that are institutional and systemic that prevent equity and justice from occurring. And in the, in, in, in the, in the case of race, most scholars would agree that race was a construct that came about during the period of slavery in order to uh, uh, otherize Africans, so to make it easier to uh, uh, put them into this state of And that institution of slavery was supported by idea supremacy, which operate under the notion that one race is superior to another. But there really is one race, right? There's a, the human race. We have different places of origin. We have different cultures. There are perhaps different ethnicities, but we are really one human race. And so we have to stop otherizing people who don't look like us, who talk like us, who have the same experiences in our background as we do. We have to, we have to treasure those differences and embrace those. And in those, we then truly become universal. And we can be, as the Pope and our church documents talk about, we can be unified and united, one holy Catholic church. I feel like I just want to say amen. Can I can I teach can I teach you a little bit of sign language? Sure. Okay. So um, I don't know if you know this, but um, prior to becoming full time with NPM, I worked in a, a bilingual church which was English and sign language. We were the home for the deaf. Oh. And so I'm going to teach you amen as if um, like like a vehement like amen. So okay. if you keep your palm out and then you do a little thumbs up and then you bounce your uh, hand across and away so across and away this means amen oh and i your, like that and your your face expresses it too amen yeah that's like that's that. a sign language for a, a strong amen <laughs> <laughs> excellent i love it so um one more question for you roger so um you mentioned the worship uh, excuse me the the gather for hymnal um can you share a little bit about that sure i think what is perhaps most exciting about this hymnal is uh, the breadth of music from different cultures that is included. I think it is the first time that a hymnal of its kind has been produced that has in a significant way, music of the uh, Hispanic community, music of the African-American community and, and several others in such a way that it, it says that these are members of the Catholic body as well. And it doesn't mean that every week you're going to go through all and check all these boxes, but now you have tools, you have resources within one document that allow you to express different liturgical themes from different cultures. And at the very least, like I was saying earlier, if you have people of other ethnic groups in your parish, even if they are not the dominant or the major culture in that church, you can now recognize their presence in a way that says, we are one body. You know, we have uh, two, actually, I think there might be three different mass settings by African-Americans in there. That's never happened before, you know, in this, in this broader kind of book, certainly for the lead me, guide me, but, um, not in this in a book that will be be used by more uh, um, Euro Americans, and so I think 
this is this goes way beyond this is a major step towards acknowledging the diversity that exists within our church this will facilitate the sung prayer by the broader universal catholic church here in the united states and i'm just so excited about that so now when we come together as church um, from all different walks of life my song now has more of a chance of being sung when we come together to me singing your song, which I don't have a problem with. But if my song is never sung, then it's like my presence is not recognized as though I'm not even there. And uh, one of the things, and I credit my friend, Dr. Kim Harris with this, when we sing one another's songs, we learn one another's stories. And when we learn more about one another, it demystifies and it de-otherizes the other person because it's harder to hate, it's harder to bear malice, it's harder to ignore those whom you know and then gain an appreciation and love for. So I'd like to share this quote uh, from Pope Francis in his uh, Wednesday address so this was actually delivered uh, October the 13th, Wednesday, October the 13th. And his address was titled Evangelization, or, or the article that appears in American Magazine is entitled Evangelization Becomes Dangerous When the Church Imposes One Culture on a Diverse World. And I want to share just some, uh, some quotes from that I think are very uh, relevant to what we've been discussing. Pope Francis says, in the call to freedom, we discover the true meaning of the enculturation of the gospel. What is this true meaning? Being able to announce the good news of Christ the Savior, respecting the good and the true that exist in cultures. He says, it is not easy. There are many temptations to seek to impose one's own model of life as though it were evolved and the most appealing. How many errors have been made in the history of evangelization by seeking to impose a single cultural model? Uniformity as a rule of life is not Christian. Unity, yes. Uniformity, no. In this way, the church has been deprived of the richness of many local expressions that the cultural traditions of entire peoples bring with them. But this is the exact opposite of Christian freedom. For example, he's reminded of the approach to the apostolate established in China with Father Ricci or in India with Father De Nobili. Some said, no, this is not Christian. Yes. It is Christian. It is in the culture of the people. And then the last thing I'll share with you. He says, this means there is not uniformity. Instead, there is variety, but variety united. Hence, the duty to respect the cultural origin of every person, placing them in a space of freedom that is not restricted by any imposition dictated by a single predominant culture. This is the meaning of calling ourselves Catholic, of speaking of the Catholic Church. It is not a sociological denomination to distinguish us from other Christians. Catholic is an adjective that means universal. 
Catholicity, universality, the universal, that is Catholic, church means that the church contains in herself, in her very nature, an openness to all peoples and cultures of all times, because Christ was born, died, and rose again for everyone. I think that is so profound, and I think that speaks to this whole notion of liturgical justice and enculturation. When we start imposing our individual preferences over the masses, particularly, say, if you are a white priest, and because I saw this on Facebook earlier this week, if you're a white priest and you say that music of the Black culture is distracting to you, and therefore you don't want it done in your parish, that's problematic. As a friend of mine used to say, that sounds like a me problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is not a church problem. That, that's a me problem. Oh, man. Roger, this has been so good. I mean, you, you, you are such a great person to interview for Ministry Monday because your insights are so profound and so appreciated. Um, thank you for your time and your knowledge and your sharing all of this with us today on Ministry Monday. It has been truly one of the highlights of my podcast this year. So thank you again for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much again to Roger for his time today. For more information about this episode and to read the article from America Magazine that quotes Pope Francis that Roger spoke of in this interview, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Sing to Your Name was produced by GIA Publications. And today's theme music for this episode was produced by Aaron Chows. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.
Shall sing to you. Shall sing to your name. 